first of all, I mean, it's going to sound cliche and kind of probably unsatisfying, but Airbnb spends tens of millions of dollars working on their UX, their, their user experience across their apps and websites and everything else. I mean, tens of millions of dollars. We have uh, monthly meetings with their dev teams and we kind of have a peek behind the curtain in terms of how large they are and uh, how much goes on there. And Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Buzicruz. Enjoy the show. In just a moment, you'll meet Paul Waldschmidt, co-founder and CEO of OwnerRes, one of the industry's most beloved property management software platforms. Paul is a software developer through and through. He has always loved leveraging technology to solve problems. So when he and his business partner, Chris, began experiencing problems with their property manager on their recently purchased vacation rental in the Blue Ridge Mountains, the technical duo saw an opportunity. Tune in to hear the story of how Paul and Chris bootstrapped the creation of one of the most respected, loved, and powerful PMSs for STR owners and property managers. In this episode, Paul and I discuss the history of PMSs in the vacation rental space, why Airbnb invests tens of millions of dollars each year on UX and UI design, why so many direct booking websites totally suck, and the opportunities that exist to build new software and new tooling for the industry. We also talk about a lot more of this really dynamic conversation. Paul's a smart dude. Finally, Paul and his team have generously offered a 30% discount for new customers for OwnerRes for the first three months. So just mention behind the stays after booking a call with someone on their team or requesting more information, and they will give you 30% off your first three months if you decide that OwnerRes is the PMS for you. All right, friends, without further ado, get ready to meet Paul. All right, Paul, we are we are live. How are you doing today, sir? Great. So good to be here. Thanks, Zach. It's uh it's really good to finally meet you. Uh I've heard about you uh for a while and and uh, your podcast and uh it sounds like we both have some some customers who are uh on both sides. So it's great to be here. Yeah, likewise, man. And I um I'm I'm really excited that we were we we're just chatting before we hit uh, record here. I actually was first introduced to Onorez in in Barcelona, uh, of all places, and we just discovered that both of us live like right down the street from each other, which is wild, right outside, uh, right yeah. outside DC. Um, and what are the odds? And yet, I, you know, it took me going all the way to Barcelona to to become aware of of Onorez. Um, and I am just thrilled to to get to hear a little bit more of, of your story, hear a little bit more about the company that you've built. Got loads of questions for you, but I want to I want to start by just hearing where the story of of Onorez begins from from the horse's mouth, from from one of the two gentlemen that actually founded the company. So, where does the Onorez story begin in in your mind? Yeah, so it, it really has. It's kind of two stories. Uh, so there's a, the the original original you know story, which is uh, the cabin on the river, as we refer to it. Which is uh, you know we we got the uh, short term rental bug. Uh, Chris and I were soft software developers who had um, overlapping lives in and out over the years, different companies either together or places where we were contracting and would refer recommend each other that kind of thing. 
Uh, we we uh, build up some extra money, you know, when we were younger. Uh, this is, uh, you know, a good 15 years ago now. Um, I'm actually getting closer probably to 20. <laughs> and um, so... <laughs> So we, uh, we, we, we invested, we had like a short-term rental out in the, uh, blue, uh, blue, blue Ridge mountain area and, um, uh, did well, lost a bunch of money in, in renovating it and figuring it all out. But, you know, we liked it and we wanted to stay, stick with it. Um, being software developers, you know, we, we wanted to, um, kind of, uh, bring some, uh, things that back in that time were not in the industry. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, I, I originally started Onares on my own. This is 2009, I think at this point. Okay. Um, so after, after getting in to the, the cabin on the river, you know, scene, uh, and then, uh, for a few years kind of went back and forth, trying some different things, going in some, some wrong directions. And, uh, then 2000, uh, in 13 was kind of the, the, the second story of the founding. Huh. Um, and that's when Chris and I came together and talked it out and decided, you know, that this, this industry is, you know, huge and just exploding at the time. Airbnb had just started in 2012. Uh, so, you know, we were, uh, we saw something really big. I needed his help. Um, and so, uh, we kind of, uh, divided it up and kind of repurposed and recorporated and, and kind of came up with a new strategy. And so then 2013 on is kind of the, the new, uh, story of owner res from a, from a corporate and product standpoint. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it progressed along the way and there's different milestones, but that's kind of the two starting places. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm curious, what, what was like the initial opportunity that you saw, right? So as you, as you're uh, back in, even back in 2009, right? Uh, what, what, what like friction point did you see? What customer problem did you encounter? Was it, was it a challenge that you encountered with your own short-term rental that sort of inspired, inspired the, the launch of Onares, at least Onares V1 or what, what, do you remember what specific problem you were interested in solving? Yeah, this is back in like 2006 or so. Uh, so we had a small uh, PM, a property manager out in the uh, Shenandoah Valley area okay. uh, who was managing it for us. Uh, you know, we, we wanted to go out there and relax and, re and, and rest and kind of build the business, but not from a day-by-day -day standpoint. And, and you kind of have to, you know, you kind of have to take listeners back to that standpoint. This mm. is a time when Verbo was just bought by HomeAway. So HomeAway was kind of taking over the old classifieds yeah. uh, page uh, that Verbo was originally styled after, kind of like a Craigslist site of, I have properties and then if you want to, or here's a bunch of properties and if you want to contact the property manager or owner, go to this email, go to this link. Yeah. Totally different uh, Verbo in those days. Um, we actually have on our blog, uh, someone put together Verbo over the years, a screenshot tour of like 25 years of all the Verbo <laughs> interfaces. You can actually look at what it looked like back then, huh. but, um, Airbnb did not exist at all. Yeah. None of the OTAs like, uh, try, you know, uh, booking.com and Expedia, they didn't have any sense of vacation rentals. It was this Verbo classified ads thing. Um, but we knew it was wildly popular. The experience is so much better than hotels and, yeah. and we knew this was coming. So, um, you know, we, didn't feel like we were getting what we needed to from, from the PM that worked in our area. Um, we just wanted a better experience. Um, we had money and time to kill. So, um, we wanted to set up what would eventually become known as channel management. Okay. Um, we were not like the original or anything like that. There were a bunch of people working on it, but we wanted to get into distributing with Verbo and we saw Homeway buying them. We knew there were a lot of other people moving into the space, did not again know about Airbnb at this time. Nobody did. Yeah. Um, and then 
you know, but so there was that aspect of it. There was, you know, and being software developers, right. You know, the, the sky's the limit. I mean, you can build your own website and you can do, you know, call center. Even back then there was a lot that, that was possible. So there, you know, in terms of like what pain points were we trying to solve, we were, you know, just so many, all yeah. of them, you know, yeah. we, were, we saw just a lot of possibility and um, knew the industry was going to explode. Yeah. Yeah. So it started as, as sort of this issue with your PM. You realize, Hey, there's an opportunity as more of these, what we would now refer to as, as sort of OTAs um, kind of popped up. People are going to need to sync, right? Uh, all of this information in, in some way, right? People if are, are going to want to ensure that if somebody books on Verbo, right. Versus booking on HomeAway versus booking eventually on, on Expedia and Airbnb, that there aren't, you know, triple bookings that are, that are occurring. So that's, that's sort of the initial opportunity that you saw. I'm curious, uh, as, as other people came into this space, right? I guess how, how, how soon after, like, give it, give us a sense of timeline from, from your perspective, right. On where, where owner res with it, you know, what was founded with respect to some of the other, uh, property management, uh, softwares that folks might be familiar with today, right? You've got like Guesty, who's obviously huge. You've got, you know, uplisting, you've got many, many others, um, who have kind of emerged and, and seen probably what you initially saw in, in 2006 and then again in 2009 and then again in, in 2013, but who, who were sort of like the big players, if any, uh, at that, at that time, were you guys sort of a David, going against a, a Goliath? Did Goliath not even really exist there? Just give us a sense of, of, of kind of what was, what, what the uh, software in the space at that juncture looked like. Yeah. So the, a lot of those names you mentioned, like Guesty and Uplisting, even though that some of them have roots uh, that get back to that point, I think Guesty does their, their name wasn't Guesty originally. They were, uh, I forget what their name was, but they were, a, they were a uh, Y Combinator founded uh, startup back in those days and then ended up switching to, to Guesty. I think maybe there was an investment group that came in and changed the name. Uh, Uplisting certainly wasn't around. They were, they were later. Um, so the Goliaths in the industry at that point were like these big dated 90s uh, thick client, desktop client type things that were trying to switch over. So huh. you had um, Escapia, uh, you know, big, you know, PM accounting products really that were, uh, set up for, you know, condo buildings in Myrtle Beach where there's 300 units yeah. and the PM needed to do trust accounting for, you know, or Outer Banks houses or, you know, units of that kind. Yeah. Um, so the software that was there really did not work well for small mom and pop operators host yeah. in the Airbnb sense, uh, host or shared space units that like you see today. Um, now I think that there were a bunch of people working on the problem, not just us. Um, it's kind of like, I have a, I have like, three or four different friends in the, in the engineering world who invented Netflix before there was Netflix, right? Because they were working on the problem. They, they, they were, they wanted to do discs in the mail. And there were a bunch of people who wanted to do that stuff. This is like, you know, late nineties, but um, you know, there was only one Netflix right? yeah, Eventually yeah, yeah. That, that, that came in. So a lot of people were, saw it. A lot of people were working on the problem. Um, but the Goliaths were really like those groups, like uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the old names, but uh, it was V12 one. I think uh, uh, Escapey was one for sure. Um, even um, like Streamline, I don't think uh, was really a big name then. I mean, they were they had roots to that period for sure. Um, and Habit and their whole family of companies and all, everything they're doing was not, I don't think, a thing at that point. Huh. Um, so this is a great question. I mean, we you know, um, in, in the interviews and podcasts I've done, I haven't I haven't been uh, mentally put through this exercise of thinking along the timeline <laughs> as clearly with, with especially with other competitors, but. You know, software-wise, I come back to Escapia. They were kind of the name okay. to beat. And, and actually, over the years, there's been a lot of 
uh, moments where we felt like we've arrived, yeah. you know, like, we're, like now we're finally, you get it with pricing and revenue and other things, but this is one of them too. So for years, Escapee was like the big name. And there was a, there was a moment, um, like a year ago where they reached out to us hmm. and they contacted us wanting to partner for smaller Escapee. If you don't know, doesn't, um, um, service accounts or do, doesn't really work with customers who have less than 25 units. Okay. So okay. if you have 25 or more, they'll talk to you. Uh, my wife's company, who now she now runs uh, the Shenron company that started this all. She has about 35 properties. So they would work for someone of her size or bigger. Yep. But anything below that. So they were looking for, you know, a great uh, company with a good reputation for those customers who wanted software that didn't quite fit their model. And they reached out to us. And I thought, man, you know, 10, 12 years ago, thinking about, <laughs> you know, where we were and looking at these Goliaths in the industry. And now they're reaching out to us. Yeah. You know, that, that's a, that's kind of one of those moments where you feel like you've arrived again, you know? Yeah. So, um, and then, but the other side of that is on the channel side or what we think of it now as channel side is, you know, HomeAway was really the monster at that okay. point in the industry. I mean, they were huge. No one had any clue about Airbnb coming along. Um, and then in 2012, Airbnb kind of swept in 2013 yeah. And now everybody's kind of going, wow, look at, you know, look at what's going on. They're going to kind of uh, steal everyone's thunder and they're going to like take over. Uh, and of course, I feel like it just helped expand the industry and and kind of made the need for our software and, and uh, you know, our competitors that much stronger. Yeah. So, Tyann, you own and operate 20 vacation rentals under two different brands in Missouri. Yes. Yes, I do. And you're the queen of guest experience at Touch Day, which is the leading digital guest guidebook technology worldwide. Yes, I sure am. And you're trusted by thousands of other short-term rental hosts across the world who listen to your podcasts, follow you on social media, and attend your presentations at industry events. Is this correct? It is. And I am honored to be trusted in the industry. Yes. So chances are, Tyann, that you you know a thing or two about the different property management software providers in this space. I do. And I love meeting the teams everywhere. Um, and I, I know a lot about them. And I'm also very curious and ask questions to learn more because the space is always changing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am so glad to hear that. And the reason I wanted to have this quick chat with you is because I know that you use Onores for your property management software. And I want to hear a little bit about why you chose Onores and, and why you love Onores over, you know, the many other options that are available on the market. So we know there's lots of options, but I had to narrow it down to what my top priorities are. So the first one is I've got to have the communications prowess. I am all about communications. I think that is a key factor to reviews and therefore to better revenue serve. And okay. Just do that again, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Ask me the last question again. Yeah. So there are so many great options in the space, but I want to know why you chose and, and ultimately why you love Onores over over some of the others. Can you could you give us just a couple of reasons why? Yeah, so I look at all the softwares and they all have really great capabilities, but I needed to narrow it down to what I value the most and what software matched up to that. So the first one is the communications prowess. I am all about communications. It is highly important to me and it has a great effect upon my reviews and therefore my revenue. The second one is excellent customer service. And I have this little trick that I do when I'm searching for for software is that I'll send a customer service request in and see how fast they respond, how well they respond, and if I understand their response as well, because I've got to be able to understand when there's a problem. 
And then the third one is comprehensive capabilities. It has to be powerful to do what I need it to do. And I'm going to add a fourth one. I need constancy and dependability because I'm running some businesses here and I've got a lot of things going on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? No one has time for software that doesn't work in the way that you expect it to. Diane, who do you think OwnerRes is the best fit for? Like what kind of host or, or property manager do you think align best with the core product offering at OwnerRes? So a lot of folks immediately think how many properties they have, and then they start narrowing it down to what softwares they should look at. But instead, I want you to think a little bit differently. Look at what you value. So OwnerRes is really excellent for host and property managers who value a software that does what it says it does. Mm. They don't overpromise under deliver. They underpromise and over deliver is what they really do. Um, OwnerRes is also a product that listens to their users and is nimble to adjust on the key needs of its users. So we're throwing out all kinds of things we want and they're really good at focusing to the key needs and doing what their users are wanting. Um, and lastly, it is for users who want and need a powerful engine to run their hospitality business. I love it. And so you were using another PMS before OwnerRes. Was OwnerRes the first PMS you used? Uh, how, how hard was it to either move from your old PMS or, or get set up with OwnerRes? So I'm one of those people who's been in this industry a long time. And the first decade was pen and paper and little pocket calendar books. <laughs> and then after, after my very first double booking, uh, one and only, because that is something we all go through at some point or the other, uh, I started searching for some software. I used one. Um, I wasn't too thrilled with the because it was not communications friendly. It was mm. not dependable. It didn't work. Uh, so I went searching again, and that's when I found OwnerRes. That was five years ago. So I've been with them quite a while. And then at that time, it was a simple export-import exercise with a spreadsheet. And the most difficult part was the actual the core setup of my account. Mm. Um, definitely a learning curve to it. But that said, it's also a very logical setup that if you take it step by step, you can finish it. Just keep in mind that it's not this super flashy, simple thing because the system is so powerful. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I think that that's a really honest review. And from everything I've seen of the actual product, it does seem incredibly logical. For, for our listeners, we've partnered with OwnerRes to give new customers a 30% discount on their first three months. So when you talk to the team there, just mentioned behind the stays, if you just go through the checkout process, you can use the discount code BTS30 to get 30% off. But again, you can also just talk to a team member there, say that you heard about them on behind the stays and they will honor this discount. Tyan, any final words of encouragement as to why listeners should go and, and give OwnerRes a, a closer look. OwnerRes is a solid product. It's built by host and property managers themselves, and they understand our needs, working diligently to solve them with continuous updates to the software. I mean, I seriously could not run both my brands with 20 properties and growing with a very small human team, while also giving my time to the industry as a whole as Touchday's queen of guest experience and sharing my knowledge at conferences and events worldwide without OwnerRes. Well, folks, don't take it from me. Take it from one of the industry's most influential voices and just go and give OwnerRes a closer look. Even if you're not in the market right now, you might be in the market later, just go check them out. And you know, if and when you are ready to sign up, be sure to mention behind the stays or use the discount code BTS30 at checkout to get 30% off of your first three months. Tayan, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for your time. All right, thanks, Zach. I don't always get to talk to people who have been in the industry for, you know, uh, as long as as long as you have and have been, uh, you know, paying attention to 
the the development of of the this as a as a profession to the development of software in the space and so this is this is just like a real treat for me um and so i, I want to understand from your perspective what was it about airbnb that made that, that gave them sort of the uh or, or what what i guess what foundation do you think airbnb had that these other otas uh, didn't have what, what, what was sort of the, the brand power? Was it, was it purely brand? Was it some sort of technological advantage that others didn't have from, from your, from your perspective? Why, why are they who they are today? Yeah. The, the, the big thing that they did right, uh, or correct right off, uh, was how easy they made and, uh, the, um, the, the, you know, it's, it's part of the sharing ecosystem, right? Like Uber is the yeah. idea of, you know, shared spaces. And originally they were more into shared rooms, apartments, things like that before it was, you know, a lot of vacation rentals. Um, but they, they really made it easier, very easy for the guest, hmm. the guest side. So the traveler side, I think is what drove adoption so strongly at the beginning. Um, the ability to, you know, go into a city or go somewhere on travel, whether it's a, a vacation or you're just going somewhere and you needed an overnight stay or two night stays and pull up a lot of options, see that what you imagine to be vetted uh, hosts, right? Um, and see that there's a room for $40 or even $150 yeah. or $75, whatever it is. But it's it's easy to get in and out. It's very simple to use. The UI, of course, is very friendly. They executed very well on that in terms of technology. They didn't have, you know, a technological advantage to build yeah. something that others couldn't, right? They, they did what anyone could have done. Um, they just kind of had the vision, I think, to kind of take over um, and, um, you know, kind of own the guest side of it as this is going to be really simple. You're going to yeah. talk through interface, transact through interface. You don't have to reach out and find the owner and, you know, some random person's phone number, or email address, you transact all through us. Yeah. Um, and so they made that hub. Uh, that marketplace very very simple and very appealing for the guest side, and and so I would I would assume then that you know the folks like Humaway at, at that juncture right, uh, they 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 might have been building first right for for the host right for for the property manager more so than for for the guest in in terms of what features they prioritized uh, the the technology that they invested more in maybe yep. even from their branding and, and marketing strategy more interested in sort of acquiring the host side of the marketplace than, than the guests and, and putting maybe, maybe, maybe allowing for a little bit more friction on the guest side of things, uh, in, in favor of, of, of the host. And whereas Airbnb sort of just, you know, flipped that, uh, that approach on its head. Yeah, they were somewhat, yes. I think some of it, you know, is kind of like, uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, you get a lot yeah. of guests on adopting. And so hosts will just flood over and just put up with the fact that, you know, I've got to comply with merchant of record and, and messaging on, on the platform and that kind of thing because they want the business. Yeah. Um, and so they're willing to do that. But Verbo was investing back at the time, even before Airbnb and trying yeah. to clean up the experience. But I think what was happening there, and, and to be clear, we have, you know, large partnerships in place with all these companies. So yep. we love yep. all of them. We work equally <laughs> with all of them, but um, we don't really pick one over the other. We try and be agnostic in that sense, but they, they were, they were late to recognize at that time that you really need to own the experience entirely mm. um, in terms of messaging and trust and um, and then the payment side of that, which is kind of part of trust. Um, so they were stapling on like some messaging features to so that you could contact people without exposing your phone or email, but then they would ask owners and they would measure, are you getting back to them? Where Airbnb just kind of went in and said, 
forget all of that. We own everything. We're, yeah. we're the center. Yeah. You all need to come to us. And by doing that, you know, guests just kind of really trusted in that and flocked to it. And then Verbo kind of went on a years long mission of kind of, kind of playing catch up and kind of copying the model. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super interesting. Well, I appreciate that little like history lesson because I, oh, I have been curious, right. From, from, from the perspective of a technologist, right. How do you, how do you, how do you think through, you know, these, these massive changes that have happened in, in the industry, right. And, you know, another sort of massive disruption, right. Was, was obviously the COVID years and there were super, super, you know, uh, uh, low lows and also super, super high highs. Right. And so how, how over the last just few years have you seen, the industry move forward because from my perspective right as, as someone who's very very new to to this space and and still just like learning right I, I i consider myself like a sponge i'm just trying to like soak up all the goodness and all the knowledge that uh that you know folks like you who have spent years helping form this space uh have and so which is why i like this podcast because i just get to learn right um but but but, I, but i'm curious from your from your perspective what were those years like with like when we look back five, 10 years from now, what, what, how, how will we think through or categorize the, the COVID years? Like, will this, are these years, the years where professionalization kind of came into the space? Obviously we see institutional capital flooding into the space. Uh, what, would that have happened without COVID? H how do you make sense of just what we've been through over the last few years? Yeah, there was there was obviously the boom and bust of, or not necessarily bust, but the boom and then the coming back down and equalizing effect of no one going out and then everyone realizing, well, hey, now you can go get a kind of vacation on your own. Maybe it's better during COVID that you go and just, you know, uh, do a vacation rental instead of a hotel if you need yeah. to travel or to get away on your own. So there was the boom nature of it. I think that that is uh, coming, it has come down and I think actually is going to come down more. I think yeah. there was a... Uh, you know, it was chased a little bit, kind of like inflation tends to be, where people kind of chase the inflation. And then for a while, and you, after a while, you get kind of fake inflation and people have to realize, like, you know, pricing really does need to come back down. So I think there was that aspect of it, which I think we're going to see even more and more the fees and the, and the rates that now people are starting to get worn out on. And uh, you're seeing some markets where saturation and other things, but, but I think those rates are really going to continue coming down. Um, and, and there's kind of a new reality that's going on right now on the, on the rate side and fee side where people are, are, uh, complaining on both sides and Airbnb and operators are having to adjust, yeah. but there, there were definitely, it's, it's a very good point because there's a lot of lessons that were learned during that time period because of the testing that happened. Yeah. So for instance, regulation, uh, was tested heavily, mm. um, in Shenandoah Valley where I'm at. Um, the county took it upon themselves just to say, well, we're just shutting everything down and we're, yeah. we're shutting down whatever your permits were to your travel, uh, licensing, uh, what is it called? It's called tourist, you know, fees in certain areas. Sometimes it's called like lodging, yep. but, um, you know, it's, and it's all, it's all tied to, to tax revenue, but, uh, those permits, those licenses were just, you're, you're paused. Hmm. And so beyond like the 48 hour period of people being stunned by that, um, you had lawsuits that were started. You had, you know, there's people who have, you know, quite a bit tied up in this. Yeah. Um, there's operators who have large lodges and wedding facilities and all kinds of stuff. And so closing down for a month is tens of thousands of dollars down the drain. Um, and, and kind of also a kind of a fear of the unknown. When is it coming back? Are yeah. you allowed to do this? Can we fight this in some way? Um, can we create a structure where, you know, people are more separated or there's, you know, the clean processes and that kind of thing. And to what extent is this regulated versus, 
uh, people doing it on their own. So there, it was, it did kind of test everything everywhere yeah. on what is legally, what legally can be stopped or started. Um, I think it did force some maturity on the side of cleaning practices and formalizing that. I mean, it, mm. you know, operator, a host want to obviously present a good product. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't think there was a cleaning problem in the industry um, any more than there's a cleaning problem, like with hotels or anything else. It's, you know, you certain places, you know, don't, don't measure up and they should, but for the most part, everyone wants to, to present a a clean environment. But in this case, there kind of grew a market, a little, you know, the part of the ecosystem expanded around what we're doing, pictures of what we're doing and, you know, and so you, you saw kind of a maturity that kind of uh, grew in a number of areas because of the testing that went on. I, I remember I, I was I lived full time with my wife on Airbnb for like a year and a half. Like we literally were just booking new places every few days uh, and we were driving around everywhere during during COVID and, and whatnot. So it was, it was a really interesting time to travel. Right. And I remember this moment, right, where I'd be scrolling through Airbnb and I'd see all of a sudden like hosts would have like photos of like Clorox, right? In like in as part of their listing photos, right? Like right. they had like, I don't know, some, there was some company that decided to, that they would, be, they they were the certificate, the official certification, like COVID, anti-COVID thing for short-term rentals or whatever. You could get like a special badge and all this stuff, like all these, like there were great business opportunities that like opened up for folks, people, some people took advantage. And it was just funny seeing like listing photos, like include cleaning products, right. And, and like gloves right. as like, and like mass extra masks as like a benefit to staying at, at, at their place. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a, it was a wild time for sure. What I also feel like happened though is, and, and maybe this is just for my little bubble, but, and so I, I'd be, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. It also seemed like people who had maybe never had a real interest in hospitality or never had a real interest in, in vacation rentals become, become a little bit more interested in, in the asset class. Right. So I think about sort of like, you know, brands like wander and here and, and getaway, these, these other brands that have sort of like popped up uh, recently that all have like slightly different models, but, but they're trying to kind of like verticalize the, the short-term rental experience. They're, they're interested in sort of like, giving people a, a Marriott or like a Hilton like experience of a brand to kind of like fall in love with, try and provide some sort of standardization across, you know, the homes that are a part of their portfolio. This is all still, I think, very, very, very new. But but what I feel like I saw was I saw people from like tech, quite frankly, and, you know, and, and people from who might have had a recent exit at their company, all of a sudden decide, hey, I, I want to invest my 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 new found capital into into short term rentals, right? Where, whereas I, I I don't know I, may, again it, this could just be the bubble that I'm living in, but it just wasn't it wasn't as talked about. Like I didn't see it all over my feeds in the same way that I that I have over over the last couple of years. So like did did you guys experience this? Did you did you I guess experience maybe a, a new generation of sort of like operators and and owners kind of coming into the space and or taking interest in in the space? What are your observations there? Yeah, no, I think it, that's we we definitely did. We saw exactly what you're talking about. All of those things. We saw people with uh, whether it was fresh capital because they they left something or whatever else. But there there's definitely, and I think that's still going on. Yeah. Um, there there's a lot of investment going on into establishing brands and standards, but n- not really standards for everyone. Standards for yourself so that you can differentiate what you do, what your yeah. experiences are. Um, you know, so and I, I think there's 
it, it's cool, right? I think there's a need for it, and it's and it's uh, it's cool to see what different people are doing. So, um, but yeah, we've we've seen that in a number of areas. We you know we but we see it all over the place and a lot of different different things too beyond just a brand like you know imagery or color palette like all of our places are really white and yeah. have you know white mattresses and are very you know chic and modern but uh you also get it with physical uh amenities or features like all of these places uh that we have in a certain area um have uh you know canoe rides or something like that kind of old school yeah uh, where you're just offering uh some service you know atvs to rent or something so i, I don't really see it as different than than that it's just kind of a more modern version of that maybe yeah. uh um, something that's more capitalized than than those are um things that are multi-city or that you're franchising out even and you're you're having other people buy into um but but even that's been there for a while like casa go and some of those groups yeah. that uh, i think have done pretty well on trying to set standards um create uh, values and principles that they instill in their product and then try and franchise that to others who want to who want to copy it in a, in a different city, be part of the same brand. So it's definitely there. It's definitely growing. I think it's a, a cool thing about this industry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm, I'm just excited to see how all this continues to play out. Hey guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. I, I want your I want your thoughts, Paul, as a as a software developer. You know, one of the things there's I've tied people on this podcast who are are all in on the quote unquote direct book movement. I've had just as many people who don't understand why there are so many people talking about direct bookings when Airbnb and Verbo and, and other OTAs provide an incredible service of of you know, marketing, uh, facilitating communications for guests, right? Uh, insurance policies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, this is this is a kind of a safe space to just share your your opinion, and you'll have people that fall on on all sides of the spectrum here. But one of the things that I I can't figure out, and I'd love your thoughts on, are I've looked at a number of direct booking sites, right? Whether it whether they're connected to a PMS, right, or they're they're an independently built uh, software or CMS, right? And what I just can't figure out is why is there still so much why why are they either ugly and or they are ugly and there is so much friction in the actual checkout experience like airbnb's checkout experience is just so so freaking easy and i to, to be totally candid with you i have never booked on verbo so i've, I've only ever i've stayed in close to 100 short-term rentals and you know 90 percent of them i've booked through airbnb the other 10 percent i've booked direct um but like what i don't understand is 
why why is it so hard to to clone not not Airbnb's whole brand, right? Like not everything about their UX and UI, but but the checkout experience. Like why 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 haven't we seen something comparable? Or is there something comparable and like we're all just not seeing it? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh so first of all, I mean it's gonna sound cliche and kind of probably unsatisfying, but uh so you know Airbnb spends tens of millions of dollars working on their uh, UX, their their user experience across their apps and websites and everything else. Um, I mean, tens of millions of dollars. We have uh, monthly meetings with their dev teams and we kind of have a peek behind the curtain in terms of how large they are and uh, how much goes on there. And I mean, you know, the, the size and scope of what they do is enormous. They, you know, their, their API teams, just in terms of pulling in inventory in the back end. I mean, they, you know, so the design seems very simple, very elegant, yeah. uh, fast, faster now than it used to be. Um, uh, very streamlined in terms of getting through the process, signing agreements, house rules, that kind of thing. Um, but it's been an, an ongoing evolution uh, since 2012 that they have never stopped. Uh, yeah. They've made some missteps, some things we haven't liked at times. We've been frustrated. Hosts have been frustrated. But uh, you know they have executed very, very well in a very, you know, in a software terms, in an incremental and iterative way from 2012 to now and spent untold tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions at this point on the process. Yeah. So uh, Verbo actually is very similar now. Um, so their their process is very streamlined and very, it's it's almost identical. You get to the same kind of pages, you check the same buttons and you're, and you're right through. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in terms of direct booking websites, I mean, there's a lot of websites out there that have tried over time to kind of copy that. And there's some other OTAs too. I won't, I won't name names, but uh, there's some that are that kind of as Airbnb has progressed and they've changed where the, 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 the quote, um, the quote form is on the page and the amenities and how the bedrooms look and beds and that kind of thing. You see where some of those smaller regional listing sites or channels have kind yeah. of copied and done the same thing, even some real big ones. Um, so they've kind of set the standard. Everybody else is kind of playing catch up all, all the time. Um, but some of it is also a lot of the direct booking websites are kind of out of a box. They're templated. Mm-hmm. They're designed to be used for, I mean, like for instance, we have, uh, almost 3000 users that use our, uh, uh, direct booking, what we call hosted website. Okay. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's an engine platform thing like that. You can very quickly turn on There's a lot of features, a lot of settings where you can map a, a custom domain. So if you're going to, Acme vacations on outerbanks.com. Yeah. Right? And that's some guy who's got 12 houses or something. You can set it up easily. You can map all your, the same channel content that flows to Verbo and Airbnb and the pricing and everything. But the nature of that is it has to be parameter parameterized for, you know, thousands of people. Yeah. So different people want different things. And so you yeah. tend to build things in a way that's a little uh, more blocky uh, yep. that, that has steps like here's your printer agreement or rules Here's other steps that applies to one, but doesn't apply to others. If you're Airbnb and you have, you know, you know, tens of millions of dollars in your product development budget every year, and you are designing everything for one type of customer that's pouring through that all has to agree to the same steps. And you don't care about, you know, you're, you're just developing your own thing more streamlined. It's, it's, it's easier to do, but I agree with your premise that there's no reason that companies like ours or just third-party website uh, developers could not do a much better job making it streamlined and 
you know, flowing a lot like, like Airbnb has done. There's like one of, room to make, make up there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, I, I think what, what I, what I'm, what I, what I come back to a lot is there's some folks who, a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they have, you know, incredible followings of, of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that follow their, their short-term rentals on Instagram, right on, on, on TikTok, et cetera. These people really care about brand and they've done a really great, many of them have done an exceptional job at building these like really beautiful bespoke websites and then you go and you you click book from their website which is beautiful and then you're taken to some sort of like you know subdomain right where it's connected to their to their pms or whatever it is and then like it just it it all of a sudden feels like a totally different experience and it's and it's full of friction you've got like like the the fonts are are just all wacky and it it kind of looks like you know 10 years ago on the internet when you stumbled upon a site that you you know before amazon before we were all just like used to like checking out with one click or whatever it was Mm -hmm. and you'd go and and you you kind of had this like queasy feeling like oh should i give my credit card or not it's like "Mm, i I don't know if this is spammy, but it could be, you know, ah, whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll just do it. Right. It, it, it almost still feels like that for, for many yep. of these, these sites. And so my, what I just keep coming back to and what I, what I tell folks in the industry who I really respect who are, I think like people like you that are, that are working at these software companies that have this as at least part of their, their product portfolio. It's like, as a, as a, what I call, I call myself like a professional guest. I love short-term rentals. I love staying them right as a professional guest. I really want to book direct more because I think at the end of the day, everyone everyone wins a little bit better that way, right? But unless I have a personal relationship with the host, I'm just not I'm just not willing to take the chance of your, uh, you know, of booking direct via your website when when again the, the process is just too too frictionful, <laughs> right? Yeah. And 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 so it seems to me that like you, the owner rises of the world, the other PMSs, it seems like there could be a, a truly competitive advantage for the PMS that that really prioritizes this, right? And again, may, I'm sure I'm sure people are working on this, and I'm sure you know people are gonna I'm gonna get comments and DMs saying this. Look at this one. This one's amazing. Blah blah. blah. And you know it, this isn't to say that there aren't great. That there aren't some examples that are okay. But I think as a general rule, the industry has a long way to go um, to 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 being able to compete in a in a truly competitive fashion with that checkout experience that Airbnb offers. I, I agree. I think you put your finger right on a uh, kind of hole that's out there, a need that's out there for sure. And it and it's it's like you said, you go to this custom site. It's either got a really really nice WordPress theme or it's got something else going on. But what happens is the people designing those, whether it's someone on their own using like a WordPress plugin or a third party developer using API, at the end of the day, all of the power, all of the work, all of the problems that software fixes in the in that process is all on the booking end right yeah. it's, it's very simple to have calendars and pictures and display them you know cleanly and there's some brands i could i could talk about that use our site some of the nicest brands in, in the world uh, there's one in particular uh cuvee c-u-v-e-e that uses owner as you know gorgeous website they've got yeah. 60 or 70 properties worldwide cheapest one per night's like three thousand dollars a night wow. um so but they, there's a lot of effort spent in this beautiful experience, but at the end of the day, in order to book and terms and add-ons, you know, I, we want to bounce house overnight or, you know, all the stuff that goes on in the booking process that ties into a PMS or some type of channel manager or something else. And so, you know, in order, like I said before, to parameterize that for different websites coming in at different points and a so developer using an API, 
you create kind of this box and customizing the presentation of that box yeah. kind of falls through the cracks. It's like, it's yeah. good enough. So yeah. th- you're absolutely right. You're, you're more right than you realize is it's a big problem and it's a, uh, it's something that is being worked on. Um, I think probably by a lot of people, but it's, it's, it's a difficult problem area. Um, there's some yeah. technical things too, with different domain names, you know, being, being in, in, in menus and websites that are being kind of wrapped around that yeah. or being merged. So it looks the same with PCI issues, credit cards. In other words, credit card processing that verifies, Hey, you're doing credit card processing under a domain name that's actually wrapped around software that's not yours. Are you storing stuff? So there, there's 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 a lot of different tricky parts, but yeah. um, it, it's solvable and yeah. you know definitely needs a needs a focus. Yeah, no, I, and I, I'm excited. I know that smart people uh, like you and others are, are going to work this out, are going to figure it out. But I, I just I see from again from a guest perspective, like oh, yeah. you know there's there's huge opportunity, right? Like for the for for the PMS that really decides, no, 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 we really want to be the Shopify, right? For for the space, and we we want like Shopify has done such a, a great job. The the reason why I I trust booking direct with a retailer via a Shopify website is is simply because they nailed the UX and UI and checkout experience, right? That's a great and they point. Made it I do the so same. easy. That, so easy. That's a perfect example because they do the same thing. The shop pay and all the stuff they've done. Exactly. I, I exactly. hundred percent agree. When I see that on someone's direct website, I think to myself, okay, here we go. We're good. Yep, exactly. I feel safe. Um, and, and again, it's still a beautiful experience. So, um, but well, I, I want to get your thoughts on just like other other opportunities you see in this space, Paul, from from your vantage point, whether it be simple apps or or kind of new software that needs to be developed to to uh, you know continue to meet the demands of this growing and ever dynamic industry. What what opportunities do you see? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question too. Um, I don't think I have any like groundbreaking uh, or, you know, ideas that weren't, aren't, haven't been touched on by anyone else. But I do think that the, um, the add-on services at properties is yeah. something that you're mm. seeing more and more start to come out. And I, I'm intrigued by them personally. Like when I go yeah. places as a guest and I, and I take advantage of it. I mean, you have, like I, I mentioned the bounce house one, but like, you know, wedding and sound equipment, you've got, a baby quip is a good one that, that, you know, they're kind of built out now for, for bringing baby equipment. Um, some of them executed, have executed well. Some of them I think are in, um, you know, are, are, are their, their product offering is a little more appealing than others. Yeah. Um, some of my, I, I think to myself, I'm wondering how you're going to make profit margin on that. Uh, yeah. but that's a space I think you're going to see more and more. And even, even rural food delivery, I think is, mm. is lacking. And I, I don't know really how you, uh, square that peg. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you, you know, it, you know, cause there is Uber in a lot of places and there's a ton, obviously, you know, food delivery is huge now and it's all over the place and it's, you know, there's a lot of options for it, but you still have the problem of being on vacation, needing to get groceries, but I'm way out in the boonies, I'm in the mountains yeah. somewhere. And, um, so I think there's, there's maybe a need there. There's some a way someone could put their finger on how to do that. Maybe contracting with, uh, a couple of locals instead of just making it kind of generally available like Uber. So yeah. I'm not quite sure how, but I think services at properties is still kind of an empty area that no one has really fixed. Um, you yeah. know, when you go to a hotel room service and the things that you have there at the facility are a big deal. Um, but there's really nothing in the vacation rental industry that, that meets that side of things, but it, yeah, it's hard, right? Well, how do you do that? So, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that's such a good point. And I even think about like, 
like I think for for my wife and I actually just we just did a little getaway to the Shenandoah Mountains uh, over over the long weekend and you know we we're in this cool cabin right uh, in, in the woods right and there's but there's not like much around and one of the things I like I was I was even thinking is just it'd be nice to go be able to go to like a gym nearby and be able to like somehow buy like you know and some some gyms do this right They're, they've got like the planet fitnesses of the world and, and you can buy like a day pass or whatever but i was thinking like in the same way that some of some some short term rentals have uh netflix accounts for that for the house what does it look like to have like a gym account for for the house, right? What, what would it look like for this short-term rental house to be able to go to the Planet Fitness and say, hey, every one of my guests that stays here, I wanna give them a 50% discount on, on a day pass or something like that, some some affiliate model, right? Right. Um, and I, I, to your point, I, I don't, like that's not easy to do right now, right? Like it, it, it doesn't it doesn't exist. And or even like, hey, you know, if you, if you go to these particular restaurants or you go to these particular, you know, boutique stores, like some, some folks have this, like, Hey, say, you know, Zach's vacation rentals, and they'll give you like a 10, 10% off your, your happy hour or whatever it is. But, I, but I do, I also think sort of like figuring out what, what affiliate relationships look like in your regional market could, could be a big opportunity for, for someone to tackle. Yeah, for sure. And so, but you know, from a third party app or a, a, a software standpoint, I'm not sure how you could put that together, but maybe that's that's what it is. Putting those connections together. Um, I know you know cleaning is is kind of a, a you know general example of where that's worked. But I know cleaning yeah. uh, the cleaning marketplaces have worked well in a lot of areas. I mean, even my wife has a really really good relationship with her cleaners and her her network in the area um, in terms of people that do work for her. Um, but there's been times where someone left or was wasn't around as an emergency, and she's been able to tap into some cleaning networks. Um, and so that that's where it's worked. And, and so, yeah, being able to bring those type of services to these other things and put people together in your area, gym memberships, other things, um, you know, I, I, I there's probably others, but I see that one as kind of a, a glaring need, at least when I, yeah. when I travel. Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. What do you think about um, like boutique or specialized OTAs? Do do you think that there's opportunity there? Do you think uh, there's people should just ignore and run away? Like, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I really, I really, uh, I really love them. So, um, owner is integrates with a, with a, a large number of channels, uh, what we call our first class channel network. So we have an open API, but we also have a channel API. So your getaway go-go's and your go lightlies and, and all those, um, we have a whole bunch of those American snowbird. I mean, it's, we probably 
release live two of those a month, I'd say at this point. Wow. Uh, we had one in the last week go live. I mean, they're, they're constantly coming online. Uh, the, those channels tend to do the work coming to us. Uh, yeah. We have an API built around it that they can use. It's very seamless in terms of the material that goes, the content that goes back and forth and the payments. And so we really like, like Getaway, GoGo, Jason, and our, uh, Brad over there, and the work he's done, I think, has been great. But, you know, th- that's kind of a, it's all specialized around last minute stays, right? So you can't yeah. get anything unless it's been the last 10 days. Um, Go Lightly is aimed, uh, of course, at uh, female audiences who trust other females and stuff. I think what they've done is really great as well. Um, so the, the specialized ones, and there's there's obviously more specialized ones that are you know, like, like pet friendly and stuff. Um, yeah. I, I think those are great. And I think also... You see it also kind of regionally, like so. You know, you can think of it even from a geographical standpoint that ones that are in Gatlinburg or around Disney, you know, again yeah. are specialized in that sense. Um, and I, I think also those are really kind of the only ones that can poke a hole in the national market. So mm. if you're googling mm. for a property and you need to, you know, be you're going to be close to Disney World, and you want to bring a pet, and you Google Disney Vacation House pets allowed or some some term to look for, you're looking at you know, a specialized site that just focuses on that has a high chance, has a higher chance in terms of SEO of, of uh, being near the top than, yeah. you know, if you were just to make some international or national Airbnb competitor and think that yeah. you're going to poke through, you're really not. So where we've seen that there's success with some of these smaller specialized channels, it's those ones that, that do specialize. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of final questions for you, Paul. One, one is around, as as you look at your at, at Onares's like product roadmap, right, and as as you look at other other sort of competitors in the space as well, like what what are you paying real attention to, and 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 like why why are you paying real attention to that? Like what what are the things that are top of your priority list that you think the industry should should care a lot about or or pay attention to? Uh, and then kind of a a part B to that question is how how do you think not that you know this definitively, but how do you how do you think that that compares to sort of your your competitors' priorities? Yeah, well, it's it's directly it's my answer is going to um, kind of include both at the same time. So so the thing I think people should be watching more than they are is um, the ownership, the ownership of the product you use, the PMS, the channel manager, whatever you're doing, and this is true really in any, any industry, but. Um, you know, is their focus on the long-term viability of the company? Are they private, privately held, bootstrapped? Are they profitable? Mm-hmm. Um, a profitable company is a very different company from a health standpoint than a non-profitable company. Um, and a lot of times those things kind of get lost, um, you know, in, in, in growth at all costs or um, what round, what uh, capital round are we in in terms of funding? Um, and, you know, companies are run very differently in terms of priority and in terms of how much the team members in the company thrive, how happy they are yeah. to get up and do their job every day, how quick and how good, how excellent the support is, the products, how quickly the software runs itself, how snappy it is, how much their attention to detail is, um, how high their attention to detail is. Uh, the, you know, those are often those come from how integrated the founders, the owners are, how many investors are in the picture or not. Um, because, you know, you, you, there's a lot of rabbit trails that go down here, but, yeah. but you know, there's a, a very strong correlation between, you know, how disconnected the ownership is, whether it's still there anymore, whether it's mostly investor run and 
these different divisions in the company, you know, the engineering, the testing of features, the time to market, the uh, priorities in terms of the dev roadmap. So I think you should, you should pay attention to that. I mean, people have asked me before, if I go on Captera and I see your company's really good, or I look at reviews online, right? What makes you stand apart? That's one of the big things. Um, So there's that. And then, and then that directly ties to your other question, which is, you know, looking at your competitors, what they are not doing, you know, unfortunately, a lot of them um, are aimed, I think, more at growth. Um, you know, I, I was talking to a competitor um, at a conference a long time ago, and we, we're friendly with this group, and they like us, we like them, but we are direct competitors. And we were talking about our employee profit sharing programs, and the CEO of the other of the uh, other company uh, kind of looked at me with kind of weird eyes, and I I said, well, you know, so what do you guys do? Just we're just shooting stuff back yeah. and forth, waiting for like the last hour of the conference to be over. <laughs> and they said, well, that, that'd be nice if we ever had any profit, right? Like yeah. it, it, it was a foreign concept because everything yeah. is run through the eyes of growth and, you know, yeah. they have two or three times as many employees as we do, but haven't shown profit in like three years. So, yeah. you know, they're not healthy really. I mean, they're, yeah. they've got a lot of investor money, but they're, the direction of their company is coming from a different standpoint. So that's one yeah. of the things that stands out. There are others, but that's a big one. No, and, and what's what, just to piggyback on that quickly too, I think one of the interesting things, right, when you're uh, investor or venture backed versus versus bootstrapped is you do pay attention a little bit more to like your product decisions, right, are are affected, right? If it is growth at all costs, the features that you have to build, right, and, and the the rate at which you have to ship something new, right, is just is just exponentially greater because you you've got to grow and the 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 maintenance component of of the new product that you're shipping might be paused or, or pushed to the wayside uh in, in favor of just new and next and and that's just one one super super small example let alone if you're going out and, and acquiring uh, a bunch of other uh organizations right and then trying to figure out how those fit into the mix of of your larger organization that's difficult and and those those transitions don't always happen seamlessly as as many people have have expressed to me and I'm sure I have expressed to you, Paul, over the years. So I, I, that was an unexpected answer, but I think it's a, that's a good answer. It's a, it's a good, I, th- I think the takeaway is before you make your, your decision, just go do a little bit of homework and understand what you might be getting into. And th- there are pros to both. Uh, there, there are certainly cons to both, but I like that as, as an important question to, to add to the mix of questions to ask yourself before choosing a, choosing a PMS. Yeah. I mean, we've had, um, so many, it's become cliche. The, uh, we call them software refugees. People are coming from other products that either sold or changed in some way. And, uh, you know, who, you know, yeah, it, it all, the conversation is always the same way. I, I like talking to Steve, who's our head of our, our engagement team, who's, you know, our engagement team is really on the phone a lot and in person video chats and stuff. And they talk about all the time, just the, you know, when I started a year ago or, or 15 months ago with this company and I invested all this money and it was 5,000 in the setup and whatever else, and man, so much has changed and it just isn't the same way. And so they come to you now having kind of been, been beaten up by the process. Cause I mean, it's, it's yeah. a very difficult thing to change your PMS and channel manager, change the foundation of what runs a lot of your business day to day. It's, it's a yeah. big, big thing. And as you have a lot of units, it, it, it gets much, much harder. So, you know, doing that homework up front, you know, because we all advertise the same stuff, right? I mean, there's a yeah. hundred of us all advertising that we do the same things. And there's some little things that sets us apart, like 
we're uh, we're an elite partner of uh, most of our channel partners uh, like Verbo and um, have won awards. And you can see that we're one of you know five or six that's elite versus all the rest. But for the yeah. most part, we all advertise the same thing. So look at the leadership. Look at the what mm. they, the leadership says. Are they transparent? Are there blog posts and things that are written that you know where you see the top making certain decisions and being very vocal about the future, or is it kind of this uh, um, quiet nothing from the board and the founders? There's a lot of investor money being talked about, but there's no connection with the, the yeah. day-to-day customer. Yeah. Ah, uh, gosh, that was uh, so well said, Paul. Um, and I just want to thank you for for your time. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing a little bit of the owner res story with us. Thanks for sharing and, and musing uh, with with me about some of the really exciting times that I think the industry is experiencing. I am I know that I for one am very excited to see how you and and other uh, technologists in the space continue to to build tooling. That, that we all need to successfully grow uh, our respective businesses. So thanks for all the work that you and the team do. If folks do want to learn a little bit more about OwnerRes, uh, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, so go to OwnerRes.com, uh, which will redirect you to OwnerReservations.com. But uh, go there, look at uh, About Us and our principles. Are, we're, we're people first. We talk a little bit about that culture. And uh, of course, you can look at features and pricing and other things. But yeah, OwnerRes.com, OwnerRez.com. Wonderful. And we'll have that link in the show notes below. So if you are interested in connecting with Paul, learning a little bit more about Onarez uh, and or following them on social, we'll have all the links in the show notes below. Paul, thank you so much for your time, man. Thanks, Zach. It was great. A lot of fun. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe. Um, And thanks in advance. All right, everyone. See you next time.